Hello everybody, I'm your host Howell Curtis and I'd like to welcome you to The Space Industry by SatSearch, where we share stories about the companies taking us into orbit. In this podcast, we delve into the opinions and expertise of the people behind the commercial space organisations of today who could become the household names of tomorrow. Before we get started with the episode, remember you can find out more information about the suppliers, products and innovations that are mentioned in this discussion on the global marketplace for space at satsearch.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm joined by Ignacio Cecile from Reorbit Space. Reorbit is a Finnish manufacturer of reusable space systems. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the meaning of new space and how different spacecraft architectures and the concept of software-defined satellites are um, leading to new opportunities and, and creating new discussions and new avenues of progress in the industry. So Ignacio, great to have you here today. Thank you very much for being with us. Hey, yes, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, great to be here. Great. Now, your work at Reorbit, I think, is a really interesting area of the industry. Now, when I say the industry, I think we usually mean new space. And a new space is often sort of talked about as a movement to where the cost of access to space is being reduced through through some form of innovation, you know, often funded by, by the private sector. For you personally, and you know, speaking on behalf of Reorbit, I guess, what does new space mean, taking into account what you've seen happening in the industry recently? In my opinion, new space is a, it's a very broad concept, of course. I mean, there is like a lot of different people doing many different things in, in new space, what is called new space. But what is new space to me? Remember, I'm, I'm seeing this from the you know, satellite manufacturer perspective. So, you know, I'm kind of narrowing it down, you know, through that perspective. New space is, in a way, something that I discovered around like the 2010s when I realized that it was possible to do space without the NASA logo, you know, like, like stuck to the missions, right? Without the space agency's logos, you know, like all over the place, meaning that private people could do space without the big guns paying attention or, or, or sponsoring, right? That was, to me, the first kind of big changer, the big, you know, like game changer when I came into the, into the topic. I mean, it was clear that it was possible to do space without having like hundreds of millions of dollars in budget. That, that was also a, a game changer for me. Now, clearly the big, big enabler for this to happen was launch costs, you know, coming down. And that was possible by means of the ride shares, you know, the ride shares becoming available, you know, to be possible to fly tourists, to be possible not to own a full rocket for you, but just, you know, ride a rocket with, with others. That brought the costs down like dramatically and that open the door for like many small actors coming and, you know, doing like cool, cool stuff and, and with small spacecraft, right? That was the game changer to me. And that's what new space means to me in the beginning. That's how the door opened. Now, new space then became a, it developed in time and it became a bit of a, you know, constellation, earth observation, you know, change detection, many technologies that are kind of now possible, you know, because of the right shares or the launch costs, you know, like decreasing. And I have to say, we need to thank the traditional space for that, because the traditional space was the one creating the ride shares for the new space to, you know, be able to fly tourists. So in a way, it's a, it's a bit ironic that new space exists, in, a, in my opinion, because of classic space, you know, well, making it possible by means of the ride share. It is still the case because, I mean, still companies, I mean, startups cannot pay for a full rocket. So still ride shares are like very much the enabler, right? So that's, that's new space. You know, I mean, if I see it from my perspective, that's, that's new space to me. Great. Uh, that, that there is an important thing to note that that um, new space is is in debt to the traditional space um, domain. We should not forget about that, right? Because somehow new space can have this sometimes, you know, this a bit of a you know cocky attitude, and and maybe it's a little bit of 
it is thanks to you know to, to classic space and, and and that's fine i mean we don't have to you know look look back a lot you know to that but but we need to remember right you know when we are looking back at the traditional space um, domain compared to things in the new space uh, sector specifically in the area of, of spacecraft architectures what do you see are the biggest areas of, of divergence between the two areas why do they exist i mean there is a huge difference in classic space spacecraft architectures are extremely what is called like federated meaning that one computer does one thing uh, there's a one-to-one mapping between the functional architecture and the physical architecture and, and it makes sense it also related to how the companies or the, the space en- agencies were like formulated back in the day right like t- full teams of people doing one thing you know attitude control power systems comms i mean you name it right New space, on the other hand, it came to break a little bit that mapping between the functional architecture and the physical architecture. What I'm trying to say here is that one computer does not exactly map to one uh, function anymore. Or that, that is the trend, let's say. You can have, for example, your attitude control algorithms running in one computer, you know, alone and exclusively, or you can have it, you know, along with many other functions, you know, on, on, on some, you know, computer as well, and kind of, you know, running along with, you know, the power system and the the thermal, you know, software control, and that to me is um, is a big change. Now, classic space again, there is a dose of over-engineering over there. There's good reason for that. I mean, over-engineering comes from this, you know, high stakes, you know, serious missions that if if lost, you know, would create a lot of you know problems for like many people. Now, that over-engineering is costly, and of course, new space cannot afford it. And in a way, new space also came to cut the signal from the noise, let's say, in a way that there was a lot of over-engineering that because of not being possible to be afforded, then new space discarded it. And of course, it came with some risks, but those risks were taken in a, I would say, you know, in a planned way, not just like blindly. And it gave way to linear architectures where, as I said, again, computers can be doing more than one function, which also reduces mass and reduces complexity of operation and many other, you know, like, like reasons. Another difference is that, for example, the way you operate an, an, a new space satellite compared to how you operate a, a traditional satellite, it's also very different. I mean, in, in, in classic space, every bit that you send to the satellite means something. There's a zero overhead policy. It makes sense because, you know, the link budgets and because of this and, and the bandwidth, there's a lot of, you know, reasons behind that. But new space is like, it's more like treating satellites as, you know, computers connected over a network, like an, a laptop, you know, it's like a server, in a, a, like a server over a network or across a network. And that brings a lot of uh, facilities. It also brings some problems and some challenges because it becomes a sysadmin problem, right? You know, it's like a system administration issue more than a satellite operations issue. But it really, really streamlines, you know, the operation of a, of a remote system like a satellite. As I said, maybe to summarize this question, on one hand, traditional space, highly federated, highly specialized, you know, equipment. On the other hand, new space architectures were the roles of computers can be, it can have like different functions and it can also change with time because you can reconfigure the computers after you launch it and say, okay, now you are not doing attitude control anymore. You are now you are taking care of the, you know, the power system software or something like that. So that is the, um, that, that's how I see these two things, right? I mean, of course, the division sometimes is blurry, but if you ask me, you know, what is the colors of these two sides, you know, uh, classic versus new space in terms of architecture, this is how I see it. Brilliant. Yeah. So it's about an increase in versatility and there are drivers for that. As you say, there are the technological ability to actually develop it, but also on the the demand side, satellite data requirements 
are changing and the market will change. And if satellite systems are able to adapt to that faster, then the opportunities will increase. So um, great. That's really interesting. Thank you. Now, and kind of towards the, the end of the edge of the uh, innovation envelope in this area, is the work that you are doing at Reorbit on software-defined satellites. What does the concept of a software-defined satellite mean in new space? I hope you have some time because I get a bit passionate in this one. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, th- there is one ugly truth that I have seen in many different, you know, missions and, and, and companies, you know, that I've been, I've been working uh, with. And, and there is an ugly truth that uh, finally someone has to say open and loud. In satellites and in space, software rules. I, I know a lot of great mechanical engineers. I, I know a lot of great, you know, thermal engineers and a lot of, you know, electronic engineers. They, they are great people. but in a space mission project, the software guys are the guys with the power. Uh, and, and why? Because it's related to the previous question as well. When you have an architecture that you can kind of reconfigure and you can you know, define the different roles as, as, the, as the mission evolves and, and, and all that, it is all enabled by software. I mean, there, there's no way you can change a, a bolt from one place to another place easily in, in space. But you can change software. Software is your asset. Software is what can, you know, allow you to say, now you're not doing this anymore, you're doing that. You know, you can change the function, you can change the roles, you can change how data flows, in what direction, how it's stored. Software is the real asset. And companies ignoring this, they end up creating architectures as well, coming back to the previous question a little bit, is that they create architectures that are ignoring this fact, you know, that software is the real asset. And they should on their own, you know, feed because then they, they launch satellites that are, very rigidly, you know, like configured to do one thing. Since I joined Reorbit a year and a half ago, we, we've been brainstorming a lot about the software-defined concept because there is a lot of, I mean, it's, it's a big buzzword as well, right? People just use it like very loosely. Oh, yeah, software-defined this, software-defined that. What it means for us, software-defined, is that when you have a remote system, you need to operate a remote system. It, it can be a satellite, but it could also be a, you know, a nuclear plant, or it could be a, you know, a power plant, or, or, or similar. Right? When you have a remote system that needs to be operated, you are interacting with the software. So you are, that's what that's what you talk to. I mean, that's that's what you know that talks back is the software. Then when your architecture is a little bit um, decoupled, then you always talk to one actor in this architecture, this remote architecture. You talk to the you know, the onboard computer in general. And then the onboard computer goes like through different, you know, pains and, and, and issues to, you know, go and talk to some other, you know, slave computers to send commands back and forth. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess. So what we're working on here is that, okay, a satellite, you know, it's a collection of computers and we are not going to change that. You know, you will still have like several computers. Now we are saying that these computers, they share a bit of a common, it's, it's like a common, you know, memory space, even though the memory is not really physical because they don't have, they don't share the same, you know, memory chips, but they share, they share a satellite. They are all flying on the same object. And as such, they need to share uh, data and, and they need to be aware of data from other com- computers in the, in, the, in the satellite. So we created a little bit of a virtual memory space and we say, okay, now, all the computers are aware from each other and they all the computers, if they need from you know data from some other computer, they just ask for it because they know that, hey, this number that I need is owned by a, you know my, my fellow computer connected through my, my CAN bus or my, my space wire bus. So we, we configure the satellite in that way that we don't really mind or we don't really think about the interfaces or we don't really pay a lot of attention to the space wire driver. I mean, of course, we have to have space wire drivers and CAN drivers and you know UART drivers because you have to. 
but what we care is about the data, data onboard, how the data flows. But for us, you know, software basically handles data. If you don't really know what your data is, then there's nothing you can do on board of a satellite. And we extend that concept to the ground because from the ground perspective, the operator also needs to get data and send data. A command is data. Telemetry from a satellite is data. And we make that data flow as seamless as possible because at the end of the day, what an operator is doing by sending a command, they want to modify a position in memory of some computer on the satellite, whatever that is. And we have created a set of you know, abstraction layers that we make sure that the, the operator doesn't really need to care too much about where exactly the data is sitting on. It's more like, I need this data, give me the data, basically. And that, at the end of the day, just to put a little bit of practical coding on this, it is a software you know, abstraction layers. So we create those abstractions that from the ground, the operator doesn't need to care. And why we do this? Because also we're looking kind of a little bit ahead because eventually we want... At Reorbit, we are trying to make satellites also, you know, fly together, network together in orbit. And we also want to extend this concept to the, you know, to the constellation. You know, when you have data on several satellites, imagine that you have a formation of 10 satellites flying over your head. You cannot operate each one of those satellites individually. So you need to create a bit of a sense of a flock. And that's why we are just looking forward and saying, you know, these abstraction layers will eventually in the future allow an operator to operate a formation of satellites passing over their heads. And, and that's what software defined means for us. We want to dissect the problem of operating a remote system without the space halo. Satellites have been like launched for like 64 years already. We don't buy that halo anymore. I mean, it's like satellites are satellites and they've been satellites for like decades. Let's just move on and think about, you know, how to operate them in a, in a, in a proper way. Sorry for the long, sorry for the long, the long answer. I, I said I get passionate. <laughs> no, that's really, really interesting, really clear. Um... Yeah, looking forward to those applications that you talked about, for example. And um, as you say, the fact that launch costs have come down, which you, you've mentioned, and we've seen in other areas, you know, the miniaturization of, of subsystems means that you're able to launch more cheaply satellites with a greater number of sensors and greater capacity to do all sorts of different applications. But determining how you manage those applications and determining what you task the satellite to do is a matter for, for the software and the, and the, the operator to do so. That's really interesting. And and in this area, however, there are a lot of buzzwords that are thrown around, sort of including, and, and you know, to, to greater or lesser levels of um, applicability. But there are AI on satellites, as an example, distributed architectures, in-orbit networking, and as you've mentioned, software-defined technologies. And you've you've alluded to some of these, like the, the use of... Um, thinking of satellites as, as as servers in space and that sort of thing how mature are such technologies in your view and particularly in their ability to provide you know actual services with with good reliability to end users on the ground well i mean yes um buzzwords are a, a big problem in this industry you know we were talking about classic space and new space in the beginning and for some reason unfortunately you know that the new space industry Perhaps coming from the startup, you know, you know, scene, uh, adopted this policy of, you know, buzzwords all, all over the place, and and that's a big change from classic space because in classic space, kind of the the, the missions do the talking, right? And and in, in new space, there's a lot of marketing going around, and that is a bit of a problem because some of these technologies that you mentioned, for example, AI or or software defined, you know, architectures or or you know, distributed architectures, 
people people just talk about them uh, very in, in a very empty manner, and then they they start to lose the meaning because they just people start to take them as just yet another fad or yet another you know like buzzword that people are just like spouting, and uh, that's a problem. Now, if we remove that, I mean, I don't know how, but I guess that in the future, you know, less power to marketing teams, more power to you know products. That's maybe one one way to go. Uh, but anyway, maybe talking about those technologies and how much mature they are. Well, I mean, if you take them individually, AI, uh, distributed architectures, and you know, software-defined architectures, they are mature on their own, on the ground, let's say. So on the ground, AI, I mean, it's it's of course it's it's maturing as we speak. You know, it's still a early stage, you know, of the, you know, but still it's already, I mean, you can really see the value already of AI. I mean, when it's done in the proper way, right? Not just a list of, you know, nested if statements, but more like proper AI, it's it's pay, already paying off. Distributed architectures, I mean, I don't really need to give a lot of examples on the ground. Of course, you know, there are many examples of distributed architectures or the centralized architectures, you know, the blockchain and all these things are, you know, are kind of becoming like very, very topical, are already kind of, you know, Proof that, that there's there's a possibility of having distributed systems without a single central entity and still being able to you know add value and networking. I mean, I'm not going to talk about you know how networks work on the ground because you know we I mean we are now talking talking here thanks to networks. So I'm not going to explain you know that networking on the ground is is mature. Now, how to bring that to orbit? I think that this is something that is you you need to gain confidence in these technologies in orbit by means of taking the proper steps, meaning that I don't think you need to go from zero to everything. I don't think that you can go from no AI in space, no distributed architectures, and no in-orbit networking, all the way to having all those features, you know, working upfront. You need to take them slow. And, and slow, I mean, I'm not saying in decades, but more like you need to prepare, you know, a set of Pathfinder missions where you say, you know, in this Pathfinder mission, I will... I will showcase the in-orbit networking feature. In the next Pathfinder mission that can be just a few months away and with very small satellites and cheap satellites, you can say, I'm going to try, you know, distributed architectures. And here at Reorbit, we've been discussing this, you know, how, because we're pursuing all these things, we're pursuing all these technologies. How do we make the industry aware that all this is possible? Again, for an industry that is, you know, historically a little bit conservative because of the heritage from classic space. So we, we say, here at Rory, we say that, you know, we, we kind of need to walk the talk. There's no way that you can promise in space that you will say, oh, buy from me because this will work because I say it. You kind of need to show that it works, right? And that's why we are envisioning a set of Pathfinder missions where we'll say, you know, in this particular mission, we'll try, you know, in-orbit networking. And that means launching two small satellites with the capabilities of talking to each other and then exchanging information in specific protocols, being able to change those protocols and, and show that, hey, you know, you can have two satellites in orbit like if the same way as if they would be like you know like not network nodes uh, and the same for the rest i mean for ai we are working internally here on self-diagnostics making sure that the satellites can have running you know statistical models on board you know assess the status of the power system status of the battery predict how the battery will you know deplete you know according to some scheduling we're, we're doing all that but we are going to showcase those in uh, pathfinder missions and from those pathfinder missions we are going to show the market and the industry, which again, is a bit conservative to say, hey, this was not just empty talk. This was not just smoke. I mean, more smoke and mirrors as you will find all over the place. This actually works. And, and we will also equip our product line with these features as we show that the, the advanced features work. 
And I guess that that's something that we cannot fully overcome. You know, walking the talk requires going into you know, taking proper steps and, and the, you know, the capability of launching cheap satellites, small satellites for cheap launches or, or on-cheap launches is a, is a good path, you know, to increase, you know, TRL or, or you know, the, the technology readiness. Absolutely. And, and yeah, as, as you've mentioned, that flight heritage in many ways is just binary. It needs to be done. Yeah, and also you mentioned you at some point you said reliability. I think I think you said how how you how you show this you know in a reliable way. And well, it, it's of course attached to, to what I said that well, you need to go slow and show it. Uh, but at the same time, reliability in my in my opinion is an architectural problem. You know, it's like it, I mean we assume here internally that things will act up in space because space is hard. Now your architecture needs to be ready to overcome the things that will definitely happen because they will happen. And I've been part of too many missions already to realize that it's going to happen. So you need to make sure that your architecture is kind of ready to, you know, do the switchovers, do the reconfigurations to make sure that you can continue providing service after the, um, the shady things will happen. Because space is space and we cannot change that. Yeah, so you're designing for the environment, accepting yeah, the limitations that, that it, it brings. So that's that's great. I mean, that's covered a lot of the questions and things that uh, that I have for you today. I guess just finally, I always ask a form of this question to all of our guests. Looking into the crystal ball of the future, I wondered where you thought you saw different forms of activity in the new space sector heading in the next, you know, five to seven sort of years. What are you most excited about as well at Reorbit? That's a good question. I mean, I, I cannot really do a lot of, you know, crystal balling because also people will, you know, replay this podcast, you know, in five years from now, and they will laugh at me because all my, you know, my forecasts were all wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. So the good way of putting it is, what is it that I'm looking forward in this industry? I'm looking forward to the trend of commoditization of, of space equipment to continue, meaning that, you know, that sensors, actuators, computers for satellites, they should stop being special things and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, very specialized equipment with very long lead times, you know, and, and, and handcrafted, you know, natures. I would love to see that in the future you can go to a place like SatSearch and say, you know, I want to buy 10 star trackers for my missions and I will have them here next week. I know there is a, it, it, there's a long way for, for that. I think we are on the right path for this. So commoditization of equipment, I, I hope it will continue evolving in the way that is, it is evolving uh, today. I would also love the space, as I said in, you know, a few questions ago, that the space halo, right? That this, this aura that is kind of covering space as a sci-fi thing still, you know? And science fiction is, to me, something that we are not working on science fiction here. We're working on, you know, satellites that are just a bunch of computers connected, like, like cars are, you know, like a Tesla is. And, and, and that's why I, I, want, I want space industry to continue decreasing that, that space halo that, that somehow, you know, we, we move forward kind of overcoming the fact that, yes, you know, there are rockets and satellites going to space. And that's that. I mean, that we've been doing this for decades. So let's just move on. You know, the process of hiring people and, you know, in like scaling companies a little bit easier because you need to stop bringing people from space. You can just bring people from, you know, automotive industry. And that's that. So that, that's a trend that I would like to continue seeing, right? I also would like, and this is perhaps related to my work here and what we are doing at Reorbit, that I would like software marketplaces to be fly software marketplaces. You know, if, if you're flying a satellite and you need a library for encrypting your data or you need a library for, I don't know, a specific protocol or you want to have a driver for a specific interface that is a little bit, you know, uncommon or something. I would love 
this trend of having a place that you can go and select what you need. And then you will be able to, I mean, not very magically kind of installing the software in your, in your satellite, but at least with some steps, you know, already kind of sorted out. Uh, so that's a trend that I would like to see. And maybe last but not least, we commented a little bit on the, you know, increasing, you know, TRL before. I, I, I was talking about this in the previous chat. I, I think there is a bit of a problem in the industry on, on new actors, how to increase the TRL in a, in a more, um, I would say, reliable way. I mean, a, a clearer path to increase your TRL. Because, some, I mean, many companies have great ideas but they face the you know, famous heritage problem. Now you don't have heritage, right? And then you're just kicked out of the discussion because you are not in space. That to me is a bit silly because it's leaving a lot of great companies with great propositions and, and offers uh, from joining the conversation because they haven't been in space. So they need to have a, a bit of a better you know, way of you know, technology maturation. And, and this is something that I would like to see in the, in the next you know, three, four years that there will be a you know, solid way of new actors, you know, gaining heritage and then, you know, maturing from there. So those are the things that I perhaps biased by my, you know, my, my work here, but that's my opinion. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, that's um, some really interesting uh, areas that we should hopefully, but, you know, maybe see in uh, in the future. And uh, I think that'll be really interesting for, um, yeah, the audience to think about. And yeah, thank you very much for the discussion today, Ignacio. And I think... Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I think our listeners will have learned a lot about why the different concepts of, of new space hardware and computing exist today and uh, the opportunities that software-defined satellite concepts uh, can bring. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And to all our listeners out there, to find out more about Reorbit's work and uh, portfolio, you can view the company's supplier hub on SatSearch. On the platform, you can make requests for information, technical documents, and other procurement requirements like lead times or quotes and or whatever else you might need for the development of your own missions or services in the new space sector and beyond of course so thank you very much for spending time with us today on the space industry podcast thank you for listening to this episode of the space industry by satsurge i hope you enjoyed today's story about one of the companies taking us into orbit we'll be back soon with more in-depth behind the scenes insights from private space businesses in the meantime, you can go to setsearch.com for more information on the space industry today or find us on social media if you have any questions or comments. To stay up to date, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can also get each podcast on demand on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store or whichever podcast service you typically use. <laughs>